The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for December 8th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our Red Circle website. You click the donate button, and you can do a setup a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Joined as always by my friend and co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, I can't remember a week of Dragon Gate that has had this many shows. Like, just to lay it out, since the last time we recorded, we had a Corkin on the second. They had a travel day to go to Hokkaido for three straight days of show. Travel day to get from Hokkaido to Kobe, Japan. And then we had a Sambo Hall show today. It's insane. How are you coping with all these shows? I'm not coping with it. Well, Mike, it's my busiest time of the year. I've been doing finals for the past week. Plus, I've got job stuff. So, look, Mike and I, prior to this week, had watched literally every second of Dragon Gate footage that aired this year. We're, I think, including roster members, the only two people that watched every second of the Rainbow Gate Empty Arena shows. I'm sure even Doi had to close his eyes at some point during that, (laughs) whatever that was, those dry June and July Empty Arena shows. Mike and I watched every second of them uh, before the pandemic, obviously during the Empty Arena setting, and now in a limited capacity phase. And I finally ran out of time I missed some undercard stuff on two of the Hokkaido shows. I really only watched two things from this Kobe Sambo Hall show, and I'll go back and watch the rest tomorrow. But my real life has been too busy to deal with all of the Dragon Gate that we've had in this past week. Like, it's too much. I forgot we had to break down a Cork and Hall show. That feels like it happened a month ago now. And, and it's something that things are happening at such a pace, and it's not just like them doing shows for sake of shows. There are significant things like setting up the end of the year into 2021 that's been going on. And there's two shows next week. We have a 
we have a, we have the second uh, Corkin and we have a Kyoto show, and that's even before we get to Final Gate. So I mean, this is one of their busiest months, and this is after how big of a month November was, and you know I mean they were their plan was to do everything that they had planned to maybe at a little bit of an accelerated rate, and boy the back end of their 2020 has if not been like one of the busiest schedules. I know that New Japan Stardom and then all the uh, U.S. majors and mid-majors are still doing their things. It just feels like that they've kind of got to a point where it's like, oh, COVID's happening, but we're Dragon Gate. And they've been putting out like shows that I would argue stack up to how things were again outside of COVID times. Like it's really remarkable what they've done over the last two months. Well, that's the benefit of the mass amount of shows that we had to watch over this past week was that with the exception of the Sambo Hall show, which you've seen more of than me, I did not think the card looked great on paper, so I I, I, I could have probably forced time to watch it today, but I was like, I've watched four complete shows almost, basically three complete shows. I'm going to hold off on Sambo Hall for now, but the Hokkaido shows were so much fun. I, they were, I, I'll talk about it more when we when we get into it, but they were just a breath of fresh air, everything felt new, everything felt exciting, even the R.E.D. stuff I thought came across pretty well for the most part, and that Cork and Hall show was a great show, so yeah, they're running a ton of shows right now, but everything is really good. I mean, I talked about it with Alan Forel on his Pro Wrestling Torch show, which by the way, if you have not heard, uh, Alan and I did a second episode of our Greatest Wrestler Ever Refresh Project, and that is on the Pro Wrestling Torch VIP section. I would highly recommend giving it a listen because we do talk a little bit about Dragon Gate at the beginning. But for me, I just they're the promotion of the year. And I think AEW is second. And I've liked a lot of AEW this year. The fact that they're a second-year company that has dealt with the pandemic as successfully as they have is remarkable. But Dragon Gate is just on another level. I mean, I think they've pulled away in the promotion of the year race. I think they're far and away the best thing going on in wrestling right now because it's not only the young guys that are exciting, the veterans are pulling their weight, the match quality. I, I have so many Dragon Gate matches at four stars or higher this year. Now, granted, this is probably the most Dragon Gate that's ever made tape in a single year because it seems like we've gotten more uh, this year than even in the Drangate Network era, which I think, wh- wh- what was Drangate Network launched, 2018? Yeah, it was spring of 2018, I want to say. That's right, yeah. So, because I, I think Champion Gate were the, were the first two shows on it. So I think we've gotten more this year than we did in 2019 and 2018 as well. And obviously before that, you know, just not as much was making tape. So granted, there's been more Drangate shows to watch this year, but I'd look at my spreadsheet right now. I've got 36 Drangate matches at four stars or higher. That is veering into prime New Japan years with uh, outside of the G1, because I do, I do tabulate those differently. But we're looking at an in-ring year from Drangate that is as strong as anything we've seen over the past few years. And the creative is just... It's so on point, and it was it was on display in the Cork and Hall show that I I thought was a good Cork and Hall show with great, if not tremendous, booking. Yeah, yeah. So on this show, we're going to focus a lot on on Cork, and we're going to go through Cork and match by match. Overhead Kaido, we're going to talk about like the big things that happen. Like like it's really worth going out of your way and watching Hokkaido shows. Those are ones that usually. Case and I, we cringe a little bit because, you know, Hokkaido, you know, it's it's three days in a row. It's usually 
stuff that they go to Hokkaido twice a year, but this time this was the only trip, and I think they made the trip matter, but we'll talk about hits there, and then talk about the big things from Sambo Hall. I have seen all Sambo Hall, so I can talk about a lot of things going on there, but the week started with uh, Corken Hall on the 2nd. By the time this comes out, it'll be off the network, other than I, I do not believe the English commentary version is up yet, so I think that that, that will be coming up soon, and that'll be up there infinitely, and just off the top, I I kind of I I I played the pitch hitter this week and did the uh, the uh, written review, but the the big thing that like kind of like got to me on this show is just and this goes back to Dragon Gate in 2020. This is a company that has zero fear and they will do what they want to do, and the crowd responds, and they're willing to take big swings in COVID and just like put their stamp on the year. That overall, this Corkin. Not necessarily the greatest match quality stuff, but for a two and a half hour show, it was probably some of the most fun two and a half hours I had watching wrestling this year. You know, I just made the point about promotion of the year, and I want to circle back to it as we specifically discuss this Cork and Hall show, because I think one of the things about Drangate is they've disproved so many theories about other wrestling promotions, and... I will use them as a specific example because it's the example that I thought of while watching this, but the idea of this Naito evil feud being anything worthwhile as New Japan fans sit on their hands and don't make any noise during it, I think there's some pushback of like, hey, well, it's, you know, it's clap crowds, they can't do anything. But when Madoka Kakuta, who debuted in May, turns heel all of a sudden, you have gasps from the audience, and that is because it was an effective and worthwhile and creatively fulfilling turn. It was brilliantly done, and I loved, I loved the impromptu main event that Dragon Gate does. I think that is that is a mode of storytelling that more companies need to just straight up steal. I, I think it is great when they do it. I have very fond memories of, I think it was June 2014, where it was a Mad Blanky versus BB Hulk, five-on-one open the Dreamgate match. Hulk lost on the second fall, and then Shima came out and said, well, we can't have a Cork and Hall main event in like this. Let's have one member of every unit come out, and let's fight Mad Blinky as a Dragon Gate team. And that was, you know, not a great match, but it was such a satisfying moment. And they essentially did the same thing here in the main event, and I thought that was the best match on a very newsworthy show. Yeah, and I, I think that's the big story off the top, and we should kind of get into it for getting the show itself it's not just that madoka kakuta turned which was done excellently it's the fact that he turned and immediately takedo kame was like you know what i've been with you i am your senior here i am not going to take this because he just came out there and the crowd like has adopted takedo kame and it's something that i've been a big takedo kame fan from the start so i'm really happy to see it and that kind of is like the over right overarching theme of like the last five shows in a lot of ways. I think Takeda Kame might end up being a more faster rising star than Kakuda just because of the adoption. It seems like that he's being adopted into uh, the Torimon generation and the way that the crowd is really getting behind him. And I think that's what made this semi, this, this impromptu main event. So effective was the idea that now we have a generational rival. Now we have Kame versus Kakuda. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's brilliantly done. I was not expecting Kakuta to turn heel, and when I saw that, it, it really took me by surprise 
because I think we, we've been able to pinpoint since his debut kind of what Kamei's role is going to be, which is this fun undercard wrestler who is very plucky, I think is the best word to use there. But Kakuta, uh, listeners of our show will remember, Mike and I spent a lot of time speculating who might the comparison be in? And I was a, a bit early uh, ahead of the curve saying, well, I think he's like a Susumi Koska Shingo Power Junior type, and that is what it turned out to be. But I certainly did not expect the heel turn and the immediate tension and aggression towards Kamei. And I think it's brilliant. I, I love the way they are are pushing Kamei towards the Torimon generation. I love the offshoot, not to not to get ahead of ourselves, but the offshoot of the Dragon Gate generation with Shun Skywalker. So many parts were moving on this show, and right when it seemed like maybe the generational warfare was getting a little bit stale, Dragon Gate flipped the switch at the right time, and now everything is different. Yeah, yeah, and that this I think that's also a great way of them setting up their second cork in this month. Now, like you have your big story stuff and that like really sets up and fleshes out the final gate card. And then the second one, you will have Doid arts and then the, and then kind of filling in the blanks. But I felt like they did an excellent job on the show and doing that. So let's get into, unless you have any other big overarching thoughts, let's get into the show itself. No, let's get into it. All right. So attendance was 677. That's up from 668. Pretty packed house. Uh, the opener was a unaffiliated eight man tag. It was, KZ, Benke, Yosuke Samaria, and Strong Machine J going against Ultimo Dragon, Kagatora, Gamma, and my main man, Takedo Kame. It was KZ getting the submission win with a Tiger Twist in 11 minutes and 21 seconds. And I, as I said in the review, really, Kame shined in this thing, and he's really was like put in a thing where he was going against his generational elders and trying to take all he can get from them. Yeah, this is going to end up being the Takedo Kame power hour because I think most of this show is going to be us praising him because he was not only great here in his chemistry with KZ. I mean, there is a King of Gate match, third from the top in Osaka number two or Kobe Sambo Hall in our near future. That match is going to blow people's minds. And I think specifically it has all the makings of a Mike Spears special. But Kame kills it here. He kills it in Hokkaido. He he is the guy that's hot right now. We've seen this with the rookies where it seems like they rotate the spotlight. You know, Kabune came in and I earmarked him as that is going to be the guy. And then we saw him and Kame kind of carry the workload in the early half of the year. Also, Masahiro Inoue, question mark, question mark, question mark. Don't really know the whereabouts of him at this time. And then Kakuta and Fujikawa debuted. And it seemed like... Fujikawa was the guy that started to take the ball and run with it. And then Kakuta said, actually, I'm a power junior. Let me show you fools what's up. And now it is Takedo Kame, who all of a sudden, even though he's been great all year, has this burst of energy and urgency on these undercards. And I thought it was perfectly on display in this match. And if now I was going to throw a wrestler comp on Kame, it's the guy he he really faced off against in this match. It's KZ. Like, that is his... In a lot of ways, I feel like that is his projectable ceiling in a win. I think that's an excellent thing, and I think that's something that having someone who's like the plucky, never-says-die-you-have-to-kill-me-a-fire kind of character is an excellent thing to have in this promotion. I I don't mean this as a slight, and I think it's going to come across as such, which is not how I intend at all, but you make a good point because Kamei really does remind me of MCKZ at this point, and... 
there's a lot of good MC KZ matches out there. It's a it, KZ's career is so weird because he really starts off as a fun and talented prospect, and then it seemed like the Deep Drunkers run. I don't know if it killed his motivation or if it just killed his body and his desire to have good matches, but both certainly happened. And then we had this five or six year arc of him eventually getting back to a point where he could wrestle. Uh, this fun, exciting junior heavyweight style, and I certainly don't hope that Kamei has that sink, that dip in his career like KZ did, but the the foundation of KZ's career, MC, KZ, and what made his early matches so great, very much mirror, I think, what Kamei is doing, which is a lot of flash pins, a lot of intricate grappling, and just... Uh, a, a junior heavyweight that you have to kill to beat. And Casey had to rip this guy's head almost off of his body to get the win of this match. Yeah, it's a really fun one. I went three and a quarter. I thought this was like an excellent opener and really did a good job of setting the stage. And everyone else who was not Kamei or KZ kind of sat by the sidelines. Well, what were your thoughts on the this match star-wise? I'm at the same rating, Mike. All right. And then we got the match too. This was a three-way tag team match. Unlike the usual title, three or four-way matches, this was one fall to a finish. The sides were Yamato and Keisuke Akuda of the Dragon Gate generation, Masaki Mochizuki and Don Fuji, an unaligned team, and the RED team of BB Hulk and Kazuma Sakamoto. It was Don Fuji getting the pin on the Open the Twin Gate champion BB Hulk in 10 minutes with his Gato Clutch. Post-match, we have another match being made for Final Gate. It was what we were hoping for. It came through. Mochi Fuji will be getting a twin gate shot. Kai and Hulk accepted it because they consider it a easy way to pad their defense count. And I think they're going to regret those words when they get to Fukuoka later this month. Big picture question. And we're a few weeks after from, from, uh, final gate, but I'm going to ask you now. Winner of the twin gate match, what team is it? I think that it would be an interesting sign for the end of the generational war. And launching what will be probably a bunch of brand new units coming in 2021 if Mochi Fuji win. But I just, like, this is the thing we were talking about last week. Like, Hulk and uh, Hulk and Kai, their whole storyline is so much based around the relationship with Yamato that now we're going to see what their what their title reign is going to look like when you take them outside of that relationship. And I don't know. I, 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 feel, like, I feel like Hulk and Kai, though I don't want it to happen. It's it's nice though that we really can't rule out Mochi Fuji. Like there's a legitimate chance they win, and it's crazy to me. You know, I don't know if this is public yet. I don't know if I'm even uh, supposed to say this, but I'm going to anyways. Fighting Spirit Magazine used to do the F- FSM 50 every year, and then you know Fighting Spirit had whatever happened to them. But the Fighting Spirit 50 continues on on VoicesOfWrestling.com, and we're doing it again this year. We had a little bit of a debate as to whether or not we wanted to do it, whether or not it was worth doing. I am a big proponent that this year with the pandemic really needs to be archived with uh, primary sources. And so I was a big proponent of let's do this list. And I, and I made my first draft and Masaki Mochizuki as of right now, not in my top 50, but Mike, you know who is that man is Don Fuji who has been crushing it. Since crowds returned to Drangate, I don't know if he just needed some four months off because Fuji's another one of these guys who's never really had a major injury. He's pretty much been wrestling on a consistent basis since 1998. And now all of a sudden he comes back and he has so much 
fire in him. And I think you were a little bit higher on this match as a whole uh, than I was. But I will say, on one of the Hikaido shows, I gave a Don Fuji match four stars. So this guy is killing it. He and Mochizuki have the momentum going into that Twin Gate match. I don't know if they'll win. I think we'll have a better understanding after the second Cork and Hall show, but I really, really hope they win. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that, like, we are very forward in the— and maybe be waving the flag of Masaki Mochizuki in the Greatest Wrestler Ever Common uh, conversation, but just, like, the fact that these two guys, their combined age is 52. Just, by the way, 52 years old, these two guys. And it's insane, like— the output that now Fuji is putting out. Masaki Mochizuki has been doing the same the whole time. It's just that he's not really had anything of focus. And now any of the year with him in focus, I am absolutely stoked about it. But yeah, I thought this match was a whole lot of fun. There was a little bit of a jokiness with Fuji and Yamato. And then they just went into the full out sprint. And I like this Yamato Okuda team a lot too. And I came out of that really kind of enjoying it. And then, you know, the big clean win and we got to see a, Tope Mochi in the middle of this match and hey there's there's few people that when they dive I'm like all right we're I'm here for it and I'm just like standing back and all and one of them is Misaki Mochizuki when he does like his Superman dive that's just insane well it's a it's a shoot dive essentially you know I see a lot of suicide dives now in wrestling that look nice but they don't necessarily look painful. But I know when Mochizuki does a dive, he's launching his body onto another person's and is coming down on what is typically a giant pile of people because the Drangate house style is very safe and they've been wrestling for 21 years consistently with only a handful of major injuries to speak of. That's a conversation for another day. But yeah, no, Mochizuki's dive is tremendous. We saw at Gate of Origin, which by the way, that show, feels like it happened about six months ago now just because we had so much to watch but Fuji does the nice German at Gate of Origin he does the uh, Gato clutch here for the win I love it Fuji's pulling out all of his old tricks this match I went three and a quarter on it but it was a lot of yeah fun. I, I I was a quarter star higher on it just because how much I was just generally enjoying it but this is like I think that was like the bit my big takeaway about the show is that the next match is probably like the one match on this show that you, you know, for what it is, it's just one of those things I kind of sit through each time. I get why they're doing it. I get why it's over. It's just not necessarily for me. Uh, but it is something that, I'll say this, Team Boku versus Torimon Generation, it was the full, uh, it was two thir- three quarters of Team Boku. It was Ryo Saito, Punch Tomonaga, and then we'll get into the uh, who the third person was in a minute against the uh, team of Ginki Horiguchi, Yuzushi Kondo, Kanichiro Rai. I went two and a half stars here, but it's not a bad two and a half stars match. It just was, this was not a match made to be a crazy star, uh, like a star quality match. And a lot of that is because we now have the introduction of Bukultimo Dragon. And Boku Arshimizu is changing his character again, and he's doing an Ultimo Dragon tribute act. And it's kind of charming, and it's kind of like something where like we've all collectively, if you're a big match Shimizu fan, you kind of have to accept that this is what uh, Shimizu will be for a while. And it's it's a welcome change, because the the issue I think I had with Bokuar Shimizu was it was it was a comedy character, but I think we were still, still supposed to take him seriously, and like, what, like, what is it? Like, now he feels like he's being under-pushed with his new gimmick. I, I don't understand what this is. And then the uh, Boku... I don't know if I can say that word. Bocaltimo 
Dragon character debut, and I rolled my eyes at first. I was like, here we go. More Shimizu comedy. Okay, whatever. And then he teased the Asai Moonsault, and I lost my <laughs> mind. That was so, part of my French, so fucking funny. And Shimizu, not to jump ahead here too much, but Shimizu making that entrance on the final Hokkaido show with Masato Yoshino and Dragon Kid at ringside, those two watching Shimizu mock the Ultimo entrance, dying laughing, and then Shimizu mistimed part of the entrance, and Yoshino <laughs> lost his mind even more. It made the entire thing worth it. I don't mind this because it is firmly, firmly, firmly a comedy character. I don't have to take this seriously. And it's really funny. It's really, really funny. He does all the trademark moves, and he does them well. It's just like his whole entrance thing. He manages out of the five shows. He's only done it completely right twice. And that's what makes it great because you, you have that once in Hokkaido. You have the thing where they make him do it again because I think they forget something. And then on Sambo Hall, he manages, when he's doing the kneeling on the apron, he manages to tear off the Velcro of his cape. And Rookie Doi just loses it in the ring. Like, he's just laughing so hard and he can barely help him get his his uh, the rest of the cape on. And it's one of those things that, like, there will be the moment where he get he goes and does something else, but if not, like we've talked about this, he he is a generational Rio Saito, and at least he's doing this character, and it's pulled off in a way that everyone's in on the joke, everyone's enjoying it. And it's not like a punishment character; it, it, it has a lot of heart to it in a way. I, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking that as well, and I think if you want to go back to the conversation we had with Jay in March and that, that podcast should still be in your feeds unless somebody hacked our feed and took it down. I don't know why it wouldn't be there, but we talked a lot about the generational changes, but just the culture of the company changing with the regime change in 2018. And that's exactly it. This character feels really, really fun. And the fact that guys like Yoshino and Doi are open, openly laughing about it but not at it is just a nice thing to see because I think if if a character like this comes around a few years earlier, it it's probably funny but it probably makes us a little bit uncomfortable as well. But this really feels like one where everybody is in on the joke and it works and... You know, all it takes is one shot put slam, and Shimizu is back to being a feared competitor. But for now, we don't need that, because I think there's a plethora of young talent that maybe necessarily aren't better deserving of that spot, but I do think it's it's their time to find out how they fare in the upper mid-card and in the main event scene, and Shimizu can be cycled down. So, Team Boku as a whole is still a little bit annoying, but that's because Ryo Saito is really annoying. I uh, just, uh, he, uh, God bless him, but my God, but a Bukaltimo Shimizu, very funny character. This is a win. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one last thing, heck pipes on him. He, a really good version of Separados <laughs> that usually whenever I, 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 I hear them cut the audio I immediately hit fast forward for like about a minute and a half. Cause I know that's what's going to take, but this time, like I sit there, I'm like, you know what? Shimizu, you got a good singing voice. You know what? Good for you. Good for you. And have you noticed how much they've changed up the themes lately, just as a complete aside? I I have not. Is that something they've been doing a lot of? It's weird. I host a music podcast, but I don't pay attention to wrestling entrance themes at all. I, I, I thought you would pick up on it. Yeah, like uh, like Don Fuji now has song lyrics. Uh, during the uh, Royal Sanbo, we saw how much uh, 
uh, Sachioko Boy was jamming out to the new version of his theme. It seems like they're redoing a lot of things right now. <laughs> that, that, I, that I did notice because I did watch the Battle Royal on the Kobe Sabo Hall show. And Sachioko Boy was in his zone. He, he was feeling himself in. You know what? I... Uh, you, you know what? I see you, Satyoko boy, and I appreciate what you do. Um, should we talk about the next two matches kind of together? Because they kind of roll into each other in a way. Let's do it. All right. So match four was a special singles match. It was Shun Skywalker versus some Susumi Yokosuka. He beat Susumi Yokosuka in nine minutes and one second with the SSW. And the next match was Dragon Gate versus R.E.D., Kota Minoru, Jason Lee, Dragon Daya versus Kai, Takashi Yoshida, and Dio Inferno. Daya got the win over Inferno, the first clean fall in this feud, in 9 minutes and 48 seconds with the Reptilian. And coming out of this, we now have a brand new unit. It's something that I've colloquially called Shun Gun, just because we don't have a name yet. I assume we'll get it on the second Corkin next week. But it is now Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya staking their claim and breaking off from Dragon Gate Generation. So, the Shooter Skywalker match, I think very similar to his match against Dragon Kid at Gate of Origin, where, you know, Yokosuka had some offense, looked pretty good, but it, it wasn't a great match because I don't think it was designed to be a great match. Skywalker took care of business and did his job, and then the sixth man with Minora Lee and Dragon Daya against Kai Yoshida and Daya Inferno, I went three and three quarters on this, Mike went four. I have in my notes just the word that jumped out is flow. And this Minora Lee Dragon Dia team, they just flow together like an old school open the Triangle Gate team. I need this team to get the Triangle Gate belts at some point. I love this. If we want to count this as a whole segment, I just love this segment because I really think the Skywalker Minora Lee Dia uh, foursome is about as exciting of a combination as you can come up with. You throw in a Kaito Ishida face turn, and those are maybe the five best wrestlers in the promotion right now. Yeah, and it's something where he Shun Skywalker was kind of like the overarching question just because you do not have a lone wolf champion. We saw last year of Benke that arguably that could have been one of the reasons why Benke never really took off was it was just him and Shun doing their own thing, and it wasn't like a part of unit warfare whatsoever. So you have these four guys that as we, as we see in the next four shows, they really flow into each other. Like there is a flow there between these four guys and it's a really strong core. I, I know one of the things about it is the four of them. I mean, Jason Lee is not a native is not a native Japanese speaker. Uh, Minenora, notably they had him work prime zone to build up his promos. Daya, he's a sweet summer child, but I'm not going to count him on mic work and Chun is okay. So like the big thing is like, we're going to get a fifth member. And the one thing that I think this unit needs, and if they get this unit, then if they get this, this, then we have the super face unit for the next few years is they're going to need to have someone on the mic side, I think. But I love this in ring. Like these four in ring. I mean, what's there to complain about? These four have shown all year and really over the, the process of their career, how great they are. And I think they are a really great, complete unit. The four of them is by themselves. Let's be wildly irresponsible here and speculate. Oh, I love being who, oh, I love being wildly irresponsible. That's my favorite thing. Let's speculate on who that new member is going to be. Mike, what what is your wildest take? My wildest take would be. Let's go wildest and then most realistic. Okay, wildest take. Ada. 
Oh, okay. Oh, pl- I, did you have an explanation there? That is not what I was expecting. I think that Ada, you have these four guys that have kind of been outside of the R.E.D. thing other than Dragon Daya. I think Ada gets booted after Final Gate, and there will have there'll probably be some form of a masking on Inferno going in the process of that. And then he is someone that surprisingly good babyface promo from what I remember. And like the crowd reactions, the crowds, the crowd were much more receptive to him always as a babyface and. 2016 than he ever was as a tweener or a heel yeah that is that is true it's it's weird because Ata turned heel in 2017 maybe 2017 or 2018 do you remember 2017 because because 2018 was Antios okay that's that's right because I, I if it was 2018 I was gonna be like man he he seems like he's been heel for forever but he's been a heel for three full years now so a turn is justified I I'm fascinated by that. I had not considered that option in the slightest. I would welcome that, but I that is that is a wild take, Mike. What's your most realistic take? Most realistic, Sora Fuchikawa returns and joins. Yeah, I think that is that is a safe bet. I I, I will trade off here. I'll say wildest. I mentioned him earlier. I think Masahiro Inoue at least has to be in the conversation. He technically has not debuted. He's only wrestled exhibition matches. My understanding is he's still with the promotion. It's obviously been weird to have him featured on TV, I think, twice, most uh, prominently at the Torimon reunion show, but he's at least in the conversation. We also know there are wrestlers that have not debuted yet, and I can't rule that out either because we can flash back to December 1st, 2016, when Katsumi Takashima made his in-ring debut in Cork and Hall in a featured match against the Legends, and then unfortunately had to retire due to an eye injury a, uh, a few months later. But we know we know for a fact there are people in the dojo that have not yet debuted. We've heard some rumors as to things that might be going on in the dojo, and I, and I don't think that can be ignored. But I also agree with Mike when it comes to the most realistic take. I think Sora Fujikawa is probably the answer there, and I would welcome it. I think that would be a tremendous angle. And you know... Fujikawa, in a short time, had a credible crowd connection, which is something that I feel like this unit needs. I don't know and I've not heard what people's opinions are of him, that people who speak Japanese of his promo abilities, but he makes sense because there's two things this unit's going to need. You're going to need a lost post and you're going to need a mic worker, and he would do both those. He'd check both those boxes, and that's why I felt like he was most likely. Yeah, I don't know if he's even had the opportunity to talk in front of a crowd, but I would think he's got to be at least a, a half-decent promo or good enough at the very least just given his in-ring crowd connection. I think it would be almost like mathematically impossible for him to have that connection with the crowd based purely on his in-ring work and then for him to not be able to talk. But I, I, I guess we'll find out one way or another eventually. Yeah, yeah. And we also saw KZ did not mince words afterwards about their promo ability. So that is something that the company is thinking about. Always a dangerous game when a Dragon Gate wrestler calls out a young wrestler's promo ability. Uh, T-Hawk, I hope you're doing well. <laughs> I, I did see a photo of him on my Instagram feed of him like eating eating dinner, and it was what next to a giant stuffed animal. I'm just going, T-Hawk, what's going on with you, buddy? 
Like, 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 how are you? Uh, the, the strong hearts are going to be fine. I'm not worried about them. I think people make too much uh, of a deal about OWE being what it is, but I and, and it is a colossal failure, but I think the strong hearts are going to be fine. T-Hawk and Lindemann are still world-class wrestlers. Shima is still terrific. Let, uh, they, they're, we're in a pandemic, Mike. Let the strong hearts breathe, okay? Let them take a break. No, I mean, that's fair. That, that That's fair. It's just that photo by itself, like eating dinner with a giant stuffed <laughs> animal. Wildly concerning. No, I, I saw it as well, and it was I had to take a second glance. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here, man? What is going on here? You headlined Kobe World twice, and now you're eating next to a panda. <laughs> I, I will say though, his fits, he is he is someone that I'm surprised never got into modeling because that guy can wear the hell out of a duster jacket. Oh, T-Hawk's drip game is unreal. I mean, he's the kind of customer you dream of coming into a Lids, because I know I could get T-Hawk to spend $200 with ease. <laughs> uh, he's my ideal customer. <laughs> Have I thought about it before? No. Am I thinking about it now? Yeah, and I, I think that's a realistic possibility. I could get him to open up that wallet. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we get into the main event. We talked about it earlier. This was It started off as Torimon Generation versus R.E.D., it was Naruki Doi, Masada Yoshino, Suji Kondo, and Dragon Kid, kind of like the the hard hitters right there, against R.E.D. of Ada, Kaido Ishida, S.B. Kento, and Hyo. That one was DQ'd due to interference after he after uh, Madoka Kakuta. Well, the finishing sequence was that S.B. Kento was going for the mask, then Kakuta and uh, and Kame got in the ring trying to defend his mask, and as basically Kame was like shoving Kento up against the ropes. Madoka Kakuta stood over Dragon Kid, unmasked him, and had the biggest sheet, shit-eating grin you would ever see, and Madoka Kakuta joined R.E.D. And then we had the impromptu 10-man match, adding in Kam- Kame and Kakuta. Kakuta got the win with the Hand of God rolling Lariat on Masato Yoshino. Fearless. I mean, this promotion does not mess around. For as, Just to compare them to AEW, who I think has done a tremendous job with a guy like Powerhouse Hobbs and putting him in a spotlight that feels more important. I know I'm probably blanking on another name or two of, you know, Anna Jay's one. They've plucked rookies out of obscurity and put them into, into meaningful programs. But even when I watch, you know, those people, it's like, well, they're doing all right for now, but I'm not totally sold on them. Like, we'll see what comes of this. But with Kabune, Kame, and Kakuta, I, they're, you know, one year in and they're just confident and they're killing it. And Dragon Gate seems to have confidence in them. I, I feel like Dragon Gate has more confidence in them than they ever had in the millennials during their time as a unit. I mean, this really feels like Dragon Gate is getting behind these guys in a way where they are setting them up to be a new three or four headed dragon. If you want to throw Fujikawa into the mix as well. And it's crazy because the generation of Kota Minora and Dragon Daya and to an extent, Jason Lee it's not like they've had their time in the sun yet. It's not like they're main eventers, and there's already this new generation pushing their way up the card. This whole segment, once the English commentary is up, which I, I would expect the, the English commentary core can to be up by the time this episode goes up, I, you have to, at the very least, if you're listening to this podcast, you have to go watch that main event segment, the initial main event, the angle, and the impromptu main event. Because it's the future of Dragon Gate. It's everything they do well wrapped up into one and two, you know, one and a half matches, basically. And by the end of it, even though the impromptu match was only three minutes, I factored all of that together and ended up giving it four stars because I was just so happy with everything I saw to end this Cork and Hall show. 
Yeah, and it's something that you look at the company, you look at, and we've talked about it pretty much like one of the big defining points in this company, you talk about December 1st, 2016. Case, I know you and I have talked about this for now hours at this point. This was this is an important delineation point because you look at the people that are in this match and the people who came after that match. And that's basically now what's going to be the core of the company. And they've positioned them in a way that there's no other company other than how Joshi is. Joshi works on a completely different time frame with their wrestlers. But there's no other company that's had at least 11 people that they've pretty much decided, all right, y'all are the core of our company in the future. We are going to set you up for it because we know that this company and with the ages of the company, you will be the people in the next five to 10 years to really pick up the ball after this generation is starting to tie things up. It will be y'all. And this main event is a big star of it because like for like the three minutes, you got to see Kakuda just go insane. You got to see Kame really take it to him. And then, really just like as like this it, it it's hard to put it in words like the way that Corkin was rocking when Kame was beating down Kakuda like they are able to really get this group going and then Masato Yoshino he's retiring in eight months and Masato Yoshino over the last four weeks has done something for each SB Kento Madoka Kakuda and Takedo Kame that has set them up for the rest of their future. It has, I won't say that they're made, but in a lot of ways they've completely been like, all right, we know how important this is and we know what to do with this. And it's something you don't see happen very often. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase 
by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. No, I have no fears, concerns, or reservations about what they're going to do with Yoshino for the next seven months. Uh, I know at the start of the year, when we thought he was retiring at some point this year, I think we were both a little bit bummed about the direction of it being possibly Ata versus Yoshino, but it seemed like they drastically changed course on that, and now Yoshino's working with these rookies, and I just I think it's terrific. And, and right now they have my full trust, and it's going to take a catastrophically bad angle to break that trust. I love what they're doing with Yoshino right now. Yeah, and that plays into what happened in the post-match. So not to leave... A dangling thread dangling. Hio picks up the microphone and he announces he's invoking the wish that he got at the Battle Royal at Kobe World. And we have the first major domino that's going to fall in the three-way generational war as he uses his right to be pretty much as powerful as a thing you could do as at the final gate, we will have RED versus the Torimon generation and a 10-man tag, no disqualification, elimination rules, Losers must disband. The RED team will be Ada, Kakuda, SB Kento, Ishida, and Hio versus the Torimon team of Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, Susumi Koska, Dragon Kid, and Ginky Horiguchi. So I think it was last week I speculated that, hey, maybe the generational warfare goes until July of next year. Well, nope. I was incorrect. <laughs> Luckily, luckily, everything else I've speculated on on this episode will end up being 100% accurate, but I am going to have to take the L here, Mike, and I, I recognize it, and I will gladly do it. I will take the L here because we are going to get a unit disbands match at Final Gate, and that still leaves room on the table. If you look at the Final Gate card right now, it's the match you just mentioned, Dor Yoshino, Dragon Kid, Yokosuka, and Horiguchi versus Eita, Ishida, Hyo, SB Kento, and Madoka Kakuta. We already confirmed Kaisuke Akuda versus Kagatora for the Brave Gate belt, Hulk and Kai versus Mochizuki and Fuji for the Twin Gate belts, and Skywalker versus Ben K for the Dream Gate belt. Dragon Daya and Daya Inferno still absent from that card. I'm not saying they're going to have their blow off on this show, 
but it is a very real possibility that they do. A loaded Final Gate card, and we only have half the card at this point. Yeah, yeah. And then you still have people like Kamei is not in a match, KZ and Yamato not in matches. Like, there's a lot of ways that this card can get further flushed out. And in a lot of ways, how this is shaping up versus Kobe World, this feels almost like a bigger show than Kobe World, which is sacrilege and like the dragon system that Kobe World is the S tier. Final Gate is an A tier, but Final Gate, I mean, we are going to have something big happening there. We'll get more into our predictions there, but really putting together a hell of a card there. But that was not the only match they made, Case. No, it is not. What, what did I miss? Or what did I forget about, rather? Well, after this, it is time for the once-a-year celebration. <laughs> the doy darts happened. This year... Because of safety, it was all wrestlers doing it, and you've never seen 40-year-old men be so excited to throw darts. <laughs> it wasn't the housewives, much to my dismay. They went with the wrestlers instead. And it's the one time of the year where I pretend to speak Japanese and act like I understand that everything going on in the ring makes sense. I do not speak a word of the language, but I stick around for doy darts every year because it is so sickeningly, thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, so this is another reason to check out the English commentary because I know Jay... This is going to be a task for Jay there. And, and he's kind of a ho loon there, probably. Like, like just the questions that Ho-Ho might I, look, have. I already know Ho-Ho Loon does not understand what the fuck is happening with Doi Dart. That dude will not get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 10 people that were selected in this match, it will be it's the one match we know for the Corkin on the 15th. On one side, it's Kness, Daya Inferno. Doi Dart's magic right there. Kota Minora. Ryo Saito, and BB Hulk, going up against Jason Lee, Misaki Mochizuki, Kenichi Orai, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Strong Machine J was drawn. We'll get into the uh, repairs of Strong Machine J as we talk about Hokkaido and Kobe Sambo Hall. I think Saito and Hulk being in the match, no disrespect to them, but I think that is a bit of a bummer, but... Lee Mochizuki, Arai Sakamoto, and then, you know, Konamami Chikawa, who is going to end up replacing Strong Machine J. That's a really fun team. And Kness and Diane Furno. I know Dragon Gate is going to do some really nerdy shit there that Mike and I are going to eat up. I mean, Kness will invent moves based off of people. Do you think he has an Inferno move basically? Like, is he going to have, like, instead of a lung blower, he's going to, or instead of a backstabber, he's going to have it that he does an inverted one so he lands knees first on someone's chest? I hope so, because I, I'm not going to vote at best move of the year, but I got to be honest, that Die Inferno backstabber is like the most violent looking move in wrestling right now. He he is someone, and I guess we'll talk about it when we get to Hokkaido, but to reference New Japan again, he's like one of those, you know, big vignette driven debuts that New Japan has where the wrestler takes a little bit to figure out that character and it took Inferno about a month, but I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I, I think he's totally figured it out, and I think his chemistry with Dragon Daya right now is flawless. Yeah, no, it, it's something that I was probably even more negative about it than you, you know? It, no, because I, I was into it the entire time, but I didn't think it was... I, I didn't think we were going to have these six-man and eight-man tag matches that were legitimately great as a result of Daya Inferno and Dragon Daya wrestling with one another, just doing counters and sequences and head scissors and all these things that they do so well I did not expect that to be a component of the character I thought we would get 
a lot of character-driven brawling stuff, but now that he's just wrestling, I, I love it so much. Yeah, and it's something like the one thing that I'll still say in his act that I'm not certain is over is the biting, but the rest of it is awesome. I love it. Yeah. So it, it's something that, you know, you have that. Uh, I was uh, talking to some folks about the show, uh, one of the friends of the show, Thoros. He was like, you know, if you switch, like, uh, Kota Minora and Kness over on the other side, especially with Konamawa Chikawa, you have a team with all K names there. I was like, you know what? I did not think about it. There might be some trades here because I think that would be something that, you know, Dragon Gate might be into. Y- yes. Yeah, I, I, had I, to, I didn't think about it. I, I didn't had th- to look at that. I had to look at that to make sure that was accurate. But yes, I understand the point that was being made now. Yeah, it's a, it's a head scratcher that that was my response. Right I was like, you know what? I, I kind of dig that. I kind of dig that. So that was uh, that was the Fantastic Gate uh, Cork and Hall show, December 2nd. By the time you all listen to it, the Japanese feed would be, off the, would be off the network. But we are willing to guess, and I think it's a pretty fair assumption, that the English one will be going up very soon, if not already by the time this hits your podcast feed. So, Case, let's get into to Hokkaido. I know I've seen all of it. I think probably the best way to handle this is I will r- run down one of the show's results. If there's something big you want to talk about on the show, we'll talk about it, and then we'll just try to cheat that for the next four shows. That's great. All right, so this was a three-shot. This was in the Hokkaido Sapporo E1, two eyes and a one, not going to try to pronounce that, stadium. A uh, very IWA Mid South like venue. They had three nights. It was from the fourth to the sixth. This was all framed as the BB Hulk Homecoming. So night one, just going through the results first. Porimon versus Dragon Gate. Ultimo and Dragon Kid defeated KZ and Yosuke San Maria. Dragon did the uh, Lob Maestral Cradle on Maria. Singles match: Binkei versus Takedo Kamei. Binkei got the win with the spear in 11 minutes 31 seconds. Match three. Ryo Saito and Bokutomo Dragon defeated Yamato and UT with with uh, Dragon doing the uh, Bokutomo style Lob Maestral Cradle. Match 4, Don Fuji and Punchstone Monaga versus Keisuke Akuda and Strong Machine J. It was Fuji over J with the Gato Clutch in 11 minutes and 4 seconds. Match 8, 8 man tag team match. The entirety of Shun Gun, that's Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya versus R.E.D., Hulk, Ishida, Kento, and Inferno. Double count out. The main event was a Torimon versus R.E.D. six-man tag. Torimon was Nuruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, and, and Susumi Okoska. R.E.D. was Ada, Hio, and the now-renamed Hip Hop Kakuda. Doi over Hio with Bakatari sliding kick in 14 minutes and 43 seconds. So Hip Hop Kakuta... I don't <laughs> like it at all. Uh, it's interesting. If you go to the Dragon Gate website, at least as of the time we're recording this, his bio has been wiped. So it's just a picture of him as a young boy. And then the new name, which translates in English to Hip Hop Kicker. Mike, is that better than Hip Hop Kakuta? Uh, well, I mean, Dragon Gate likes dumb names. Like, this is, and, and this is just as much of it. Like, if he was being named this. In any other promotion, I would think that this is one of the dumbest things ever. It's still not great, but Hip Hop Kicker, I kind of like the side of it. He's also wearing some really short tights, which made me think that uh, maybe he needs to get some new gear. 
Oh, no, I'm not complaining about those. He showed off the thighs and it validated my suspicions that he is indeed the next power junior. So more power I, I, to I him. mean, it showed off more than his thighs, Case. Like, like, like we were getting some cheek in there, too. <laughs> yeah, I there there's a weird thing with Dragon and names where I feel like hip-hop Kakuta could draw Western eyes to the promotion. Like, they just have to find out what that is. Right. And, you know, the good thing is he's a terrific wrestler already. And I think he showed that in the main event. So this show, I took Mike Spears' recommendations for this show. I watched Ben K versus Kamei, and I watched the semi-main event in the main event, Skywalker, Minora Lee, and Daya versus Hulk, Ishida, SB Kento, and Inferno, and then Doi, Yoshino, and Yokosuka versus Eita, Hyo, and Hip Hop, Kakuta. Everything I saw in this show was a lot of fun. I think my favorite match of the three that I watched was the semi-main event, with the uh, what was that the that was the double countout match right. that uh, had yeah the double ring out that that RDD busted out a little bit of M2K action there they forced the double countout and this was our first look at Shun Gun the Shun Skywalker unit and their chemistry as a foursome is unbelievable I mean I really liked what I saw from Minora Lee and Daya on the Cork and Hall show but you throw Skywalker in there. And I don't know if you feel this way, Mike, but I feel like this is the first time since Skywalker came back that he's wrestled and really felt like Shun Skywalker. Right, yeah, and that's something that I made a point about that we didn't really talk about in Corkin is all these singles matches are made so that the fans get used to this is what Shun Skywalker is now, this is how he's changed. And then you put him in these multi-man tags and it's like, oh yeah, this is Shun Skywalker in Dragon Gate. He has new aspects to him, but still Shun Skywalker. And he works incredibly well with his new unit mates. Like, And it's something that you can almost see as the weekend progressed, their chemistry grow and grow. And it's kind of a remarkable thing to see it match by match. These guys kind of become one of the, like, the can't-miss things in this promotion. And the way that the heel side did it, like, this was not something where they basically they had their, mask, their match and everyone else was along for the ride. This was a excellent eight-man tag. The double count out like this was some real dragon system stuff that we got out of the show and like this whole this whole entire weekend like this feels kind of i hate the term vintage but this feels like a classic dragon gate weekend that we saw no that's exactly what i was gonna say next is it, it's almost a bummer i don't know if this will make sense this might be backwards logic it's almost a bummer that we got these shows in full instead of in like a two-hour infinity package because if you take the best two hours of these shows, you're talking about like an all-time great Dragon Gate Infinity airing, and then it leads you to go like, oh, well, what was it there? This had to have been, these had to have been the best shows ever, and realistically, they weren't. But the high points were so strong, and it's exactly because of what you mentioned. One, I I like when I see guys in Dragon Gate really trying hard outside of Kobe, Osaka, and Tokyo, and this was one of those. It had like a 2005 Dragon Gate feeling where it was not only guys trying really hard in what could be considered a, a B-town, if not a C-town, but also the multi-man matches, the double countout, all of these new units forming and morphing and shaping these new characters these shows felt so, so fresh, and I, I wish for, for newer viewers there was a more digestible way to watch this weekend, because I think it would make a huge impression on people if they didn't have to sit through 
three full shows or even just bouncing from show to show to show because on this show I would absolutely recommend the semi-main event and the main event. I think those are well worth checking out. So as we go along, I'll try to make my match recommendations clear. And from this first show, it's the final two matches. Yeah, and you brought up like the Classic Infinities, and it was not too long ago that the Classic Infinity was the top-rated or the top-voted thing in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter of a wrestling show for wrestling for TV program of the year. Like, the, this, it does harken back to that. And just like top to top to bottom on these shows like they're two hours long really if you like fast forward at the right points you know where to fast forward they all have intermission that's 15 minutes you can cut that out they do 10 minutes of of mic talk and then at least for me i always fast forward through the ultimo entrance just because i know i can't hear separatos and separatos is a banger and i'm not going to pull it up on my phone each time he comes out that's too much effort for me but (laughs) it i I will say this case when this when these shows get taken down off the network they'll be down between the 11th and the 13th, according to what day it was on, it'll come back within like a month or so after it's off a gay or probably all three of these edited into two hour show. So your wishes will happen. It just will happen. Well, It'll take I, a while. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if these shows are going to air on Gaiora because if you look back through the Dragon Gate Network archive, and for as good as the network is, the, the new show thing is increasingly frustrating because not every show that airs on the network gets put back. There's stuff missing from January and February that I I don't know if it's ever going to be back on the network. My impression is that these were Dragon Gate Network exclusive shows and that they wouldn't air on Gaiora. Now, if they do, that's great, and, and I'll be sure to tweet out the link when it happens when they go up in seven months, but I don't know if that's the case or not. No, that, that, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, one last thing to touch on. Uh, Binke and Takeda Kame just wasn't it was probably actually out of all these matches on the show after the semi-main event was my favorite match on the show. But I'm also like Takeda Kamei's biggest fan. So like it's very much like my kind no, of thing. No, it rocked. It was, it was a really fun undercard match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And great uh, big little match. Like that's the best way to put it. And just incredible selling. And then Benke was willing to put some mustard on everything he did. It just was a good time. And then let's get in. Unless you have any other big takeaways, let's get into the second night. No, let's do it. So the second night of Sapporo was on the 5th. It opened with Ultimo Dragon and Susumi Yokosuka versus Strong Machine J and UT. UT was pinned by Ultimo with the Logmine Strong 13 minutes. Match 2 was uh, Don Fuji and Dragon Kid versus Hip Hop Kakuda. I'm probably just going to start calling him Kakuda because I know I'll stumble saying Hip Hop Kakuda nonstop. But it was Kakuda and Dai Inferno. Inferno got DQ'd when he faced Dragon Kid. In one of the more bizarre matches I've seen in a Dragon Gate ring in a long time, Keisuke Okuda and Punch Omanaga had a shoot fight for 4 minutes and 35 seconds <laughs> when Okuda uh, knocked out Punch Omanaga. There was a standing 10 count with a low kick to the jaw in 4 minutes. Match 4 was Masato Yoshino Takeda Kame versus Ada and Hyo. Yoshino got the win with the Torbalino in 15 minutes. We're going to touch on this match in a minute. And then the uh, semi-main event was Team Boku. It was Doi, Sairio, and Bokutomo Dragon versus Hulk, Ishida, and Kento. Uh, Hulk got the pin on Saito. So Bokutomo stays, undefe- stays unpinned in 16 minutes, 50 seconds. Main event was Dragon Gate versus Shungun. It was the full complement of Shungun versus Yamato, Benkei, KZ, and Yosuke Samaria. Shun got the pin on Maria in 20 minutes and 42 seconds with the SSW. 
So on this show, I watched what looked good to me, and that was match number two, Fuji and Dragon Kid versus Kakuta and Inferno. This was Yoshino and Kamei versus Eita and Yo. And then the eight-man main event, I did hear after the fact, I do need to go back and watch that Akuta versus Tamanaga match because that does sound genuinely, genuinely fun. But I really enjoy what I saw from this show. Mike, did you find it interesting in match number two that prior to the disqualification, or I guess what really led to the disqualification, was Dragon Kid getting a visual pin of sorts on Daya Inferno? Right, it was off the Bible. Yeah, and it's. I think it's the most, I mean, he lost at Cork and Hall, but that is specifically to Dragon Daya, and I, I found it interesting that they put Dragon Kid over him to some extent in such a strong way. It was just, you know, it. I, I don't entirely know what to make of Die Inferno in the way that he's protected, because now he's taking falls not only to his main rival, but to his main rival's mentor. I just thought that was worth noting. His uncle, in a way. Yes, the, uh, yes, the spiritual uncle, if you will, Dragon Kid. Not only for Dragon Daya, but I think for all of us. Yeah, and that's something that I'm really hoping with, with Kness and Inferno. It's like a long-lost dad-son moment. Like, like, that would be really cool. On the fifteenth, now they. It does seem like, like, like if Kness and Inferno, if they really wanted to play into that, that final Kobe Sambo Hall show of the year, the fan appreciation show, it does seem like they should do Dragon Kid and Dragon Daya versus Daya Inferno and Kness. Now, Inferno might be unmasked by then, but if he's not, I do think that is a match they should do. Well, I mean, it's not like that uh, Kness has ever been unmasked and then decided to put a mask back on a month later. I mean, it could happen. This is true. <laughs> uh, so other things of note here. So Strong Machine J got injured in the opener. I try to look at what moment happened. It was something pretty innocuous that seemed like he did. It does appear to be his shoulder. He went to the floor and was out, and then I guess they aborted and went with the log minus straw. But uh, he was pulled from this. He was pulled from Cork, and it does seem like it's still his uh, – it's his shoulder joint. You know, the machines, they're built in a very specific manner. You know, maybe he's like an F1 race car. You know how I'm an F1 fan case that, you know, if one thing kind of goes out of whack, you kind of have to take it in for service. And maybe it's time that uh, Strong Machine J gets a pretty severe retrofit of his shoulder. It's a bummer because I really think he's a talented prospect. But like I referenced uh, uh, Takashima earlier, someone who could just never advance past the early stage in his career because of injuries. And I, I don't want to speculate and say Strong Machine J is going to suffer a similar fate. No, But no. he has been hurt all year, and it's a real bummer to see. And it's something that this is the fourth time, by my count, that he's had issues with this. So it, it, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I don't, I don't think this is something that is nearly as drastic as, as Takashima. I mean, Takashima was having issues with being able to see. This seems to be like... Yeah, he was nearly blind. Right. I mean, he was nearly blind before he started wrestling, too. Like, that was not a new thing. He was nearly blind before he started wrestling, and then Shima shoot-punched him in the eye in his debut. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that is one way to, you know, make sure that someone's going to continue to have issues like that, you know? Um, the, the thing about the Tomonaga-Okuda thing, it started the night before where uh, Tomonaga... Where, Okuda made Tomonaga uh, trade with him. Then later, uh, Tomonaga said that he actually did a Gracie seminar, so that makes him a better MMA fighter than Okuda, who actually has MMA experience. Okuda came out doing the full Gracie train with Dragon Gate Generation, and they worked this completely like a full shoot fight for four minutes with doing standing 10 counts. 
he got knocked out uh yosuke samaria had the brave gate and she was holding it up like as a manager as like don king like celebrating the champion in a way and that was an absolute blast it's it's one of those things that's like a 10 minute thing but it's one of those things that for like 10 minutes like how now i watch every shimizu entrance if i know that tomonaga is going to get into a shoot fight case i'm going to watch the shoot fight Rightfully so. This is something I'm going to have to make time to go back and watch because it it sounds just delightful. Yeah, and then match four, that's had a big occurrence here as Yoshino, after the match, after doing the Torbellino on Hyo, has now officially bequeathed the Torbellino to Kamei. And there seems to be like a real forming of a, it's not like an outright like joining or, or anything, but he's almost like a Torimon assistant to Keto Kamei has been, especially when you look at that he teamed with all the veterans in the first on the first show. He will get into his performance on night three. But it seems like that uh, Kamei has something going on with the old guys. It's great. It's just such a nice wrinkle in this storyline because I think Mike and I naturally picked out the most boring option, which was, hey, the rookies will probably join the Dragon Gate generation at some point, and maybe one of them will turn. And now two of them have turned, and Kamei is now seemingly much more closer aligned with Toriyamon and specifically Yoshino, which is just something I didn't see coming. And, and you know, this was this was an all right match, but a really just solid angle. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of this and if we get more Yoshino Kamei tag team matches, which I think we will. And that would be big for Kamei. Like that is the biggest kind of unless Ultimo decides, okay, you're another one of my disciples, that's about as big as it gets in this promotion. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it can't be understated. The Masato Yoshino seal of approval is as big as it gets in Dragon Gate. And then, like, this is my main event. I mean, Team Boku. But the main event, I went four and a quarter on this case. Oh, my God, Mike, this main event. And I went four on it, but I feel like I need to bump it up to four and a quarter. Oh, my God, this was great. This is the one. If you're going to watch one thing from this weekend, there's another four-star match on the next show. But go Watch this December 5th main event. Yamato, Benkei, KZ, Yosuke Santa Maria versus Shun Skywalker, Coach Minora, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya. Oh my god. The the Benkei, Shun Skywalker interactions were so great and so heated. But it is the finish of the match where Skywalker... He is such a freak athlete, Mike. I mean, he was violently throwing around Yosuke Santa Maria like it was nothing. And his finishing sequence looked so deadly and so destructive. I I loved this match. This really felt like old school Dragon Gate, like 2005, still kind of have the Toriyaman system within them. This felt like old school Dragon Gate. It is the good stuff. Like, this is just excellent stuff. Shun does, like, this flying knee to Benkei that was just insane. Like, it's just incredible stuff. And it's just crisp. Daya and KZ had great work between them and this. And, you know, this is probably going to be a thing that's going to be continuing. You know, this remnants of whatever the Dragon Gate generation will be. And probably this 4. Like, this 4 does feel like it could be its own unit as we get out of the warfare. Yeah, I, I hope so. And then we get into the third night on Sunday. The combined attendance across these for people who are interested, about 700. Uh, this venue sucked. Like, Sapporo is a, it is a hard town because they had a really cool venue for a long time that was kind of dingy, but it felt like a cause star lanes. Then they had uh, Susakino Mars, which was an absolute dump. Like, that venue was, like, depressing to watch. And now they're in this place that 
I think it's like an indoor soccer place, like a soccer, like, cause there are soccer nets everywhere in advertising, like this venue. No, it's just tough running Sapporo. There's a reason why only a few companies run Sapporo. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't mind this venue. I think you hated it more than I do. I thought it was kind of charming. It's a bummer. We were talking off air. Just the. It seems like Japanese venues are drying up, and I think Drangit has lost what two Sapporo venues. They've lost two Sapporo venues, of course. Hakata Starlines is gone. Um, Kobe. God, that sucks. I really, I really miss Hakata Starlines. I miss the shows that had Hakata Starlines more than Hakata Starlines themselves. I mean, I'm very happy we don't have the deal with a cross until 2021. But they've lost those two, of course. One of their big homes, Kobe Chicken George, shut down before Dragon Gate was even a thing. It's just something that it does feel like that. Well, no, they were uh, they ran it in Kobe Chicken George through 2006, my friend. Did it make tape though? Yeah, no, a, a lot of 2005 stuff is at Kobe Chicken George. There's a really good Don Fuji, Akira Tozawa angle from Chicken George, where if you've oh, never right. seen Tozawa's yeah. debut, where he was a young boy at ringside and Don Fuji was kind of continuously tormenting him, and then Tozawa does a run-in and costs him a match at Kobe Chicken George, and it's a, it's such a brilliant, brilliant angle. I forgot that was at but, Kobe yeah, Chicken no, George. I thought, yeah, I thought that was had, at, where's, they, the, they run, where's the place they used to run up in Nagano? Not Nagano, sorry. Uh, I'm blanking on it. It's Was it like the Dragon Gate Live venue? No, there was like this other one that I'm blanking on where it was. Uh, Nagoya. They had like a monthly Nagoya venue as well that they lost. Like years ago, though. At Open Voice Gate, let us know what that Nagoya venue was. But Chicken George is there. I, it closes down... I think in early 2006, like I, to put a time frame on it, I don't know if Yamato ever wrestled in Kobe Chicken George, but there's a possibility that he had some of his first matches there. It's not that Chicken George shut down. It, they just don't do wrestling anymore. It's still a live house. It's still a music venue. It's just they put a wrestling ring in the middle of a live house. And, you know, at a certain point, the promotion was like, we don't need to be running this. We could be running Sambo Hall each month instead. Yeah, because there was not a smaller venue to possibly run. So it looks like Yamato did not ever wrestle at Kobe Chicken George, which is a, a bummer because that is one of my favorite venues of all time. But, uh, to, you know, I don't know how we got off on this tangent. Other than that, I did not mind the Sapporo venue, although it is certainly not the most visually appealing venue they've ever run. It's not exactly KBS Hall. It's no KBS Hall. It's no exterior of a cross. Like, I don't like Across as a venue, but I like how it looks on the outside. Have you seen a photo of Across? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen the outside. I don't, I don't mind the way it looks on the oh, inside. It's like I a mini cork on the was... inside. It just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, they have to run two shows there, and it's not as fun. Yeah, yep. Anyways, that was my thought about that. Sorry for the tangent here. <laughs> Night three on the 6th. This will be up till the 13th. Opened with Speed Muscle reuniting against Team Boku, which it was... Uh, Doi and Yoshino versus Saito and Tomonaga. Doi got the win on Tomonaga in 13 minutes and 34 seconds to the Bakatari sliding kick. Singles match, Yosuke Samurai versus Bokudamo Dragon. It was Bokudamo Dragon in 8 minutes 11 seconds with his Lama Straw. Match 3, Don Fuji and Takedo Kamei versus Kota Minora and Dragon Daya. It was Minora over Kamei with the gang. Match 4 was Ultimo, Dragon Kid, Susumi Yokosuka versus the RED team of SB Kento, Hip Hop, Kakuda, and Dragon Di- and, Dra- and Die Inferno, pardon me. It was a disqualification after an RED run-in. Match 5 was Shun Skywalker and Jason Lee versus Ben K and UT. 
Shun over UT with the SSW. Match 8 was Yamato KZ, Keisuke Akuda, and replacing Strong Machine J, I called it the night before, Strong Machine F versus Ada, BB, Hulk, Kaido, Shida, and Hyo. It was KZ after a running elbow smash. Yeah, this is a fun show. I watched this entire thing live. It really flew by. There's two matches here that I think are worth checking out. One, the main event, which Mike did call, and I do have the receipts to prove it. Strong Machine F in the main event. That match was was a lot of fun. That was a lot of KZ and BB Hulk, who this is their this is KZ's hometown as well, correct? KZ is from a suburb of Sapporo called Ibetsu. Like it's like the northern okay. suburb. It's like being from Evanston if you're and you come back to Chicago, for lack of better words. Oh, good, good Midwest reference, Mike. Well done. That perfectly explains it to me. So these were the Hulk home, homecoming shows. KZ and Hulk in the main event here. There, there, I don't know if, if this spot stood out to you, Mike, but Hulk typically does that, like that, I, I would call it a pump kick. He typically kicks a guy in the gut, the guy bends over, and then Hulk does that kick to the back of his head. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah he has the pump kick, then axe kick. Yeah. He did the axe kick to the back of Casey's head while Casey was draped over the middle rope, and it sent him crashing to the floor. It was insane. And that was crazy. That I've never seen Hulk do that before. That spot was great. The finish, I, I thought, was tremendous with Casey and Yo going at it. A really solid match there. I went three and three quarters on that. I will also talk about the four-star match real quick before Mike gives his thoughts. That was match number three, Minora and Dragon Daya versus Don Fuji and Takejo Kamai. Oh, my God. I mean, Kamai, uh, Kamei rather, and Dragon Daya, they killed it. And then Coach Minora busted out this move that he had never done before, right before the finish. And whatever move he did before that needs to be his new finish because I thought he killed... Kamei with that move. It, this was such an enjoyable, just undercard junior heavyweight style tag match. And then you had Fuji in there to bring a little bit more stiffness, bring a little bit more ruggedness to what was just an incredibly technically proficient and smooth match. So the main event from 12-5, I think, is essential viewing. But don't sleep out on this 12-6 show and specifically match number three in the main event. Yeah, so th- this whole show went pretty fast. Like, like, this is the one where, like, just everything kind of kept moving. I, I went three and three quarters on the semi-main event. I thought that it was just, like, really good, more great face-offs between Ben and Shun. And then it, it, it's one of those things that's neat seeing Shun team with Jason Lee, and that was good. And then, of course, whenever I'm going to get, like, UT, like, trading holes with someone, I'm going to have a good time. But really, it, it's something that, like, when I was watching match three, and it's something that I think that the majority of the people now would be above this, but... I would love if they did like a new version of the rookie ranking league or a young generation cup to start 2021 because I was like watching this. I'm like, Kame is still 20 Minora just turned 21. Daya, I think is 22. Like if they did, and it's one of those insane things that like, you can't really do this because now, because now Shun Skywalker at age 24, 24, by the way, is now the Dreamgate champion. I'm like looking at this. I'm like, they have so much good talent. And it's just one of those things that, really like over this week really kind of stuck with me and yeah don fuji had a great hot tag in this don fuji has been feeling himself and just further bolstering the claim of takeda kame being the mvp of the weekend i loved it and then the main event strong machine f being cranky towards yamato cracked me up so much that like strong machine f totally was okay if working in the west rest of the dragon gate generation 
could not stand Yamato. It's just those little things there that just was like a really strong like homecoming main event. Like if I if I take a look at this as like a homecoming show, which is what this really was. This whole weekend was is just you have to rationalize getting everyone up to Hokkaido. Like this was as strong as like a homecoming main event that I think they've put on in years. You know, I mentioned the FSM 50 at the top of the show, and I mentioned that I'll be voting for Don Fuji in that. I also came to the conclusion, and for those that are wondering, the FSM 50 will be available at voicesofwrestling.com either at the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021. But I made the rough draft of my list. I had about 65 wrestlers that I was really considering, and Kabune, Kikuta, and Kamei have to be included on that list. And that's factoring in, you know, the New Japan that I watched, the NOAA that I feel qualified enough to talk about, the All Japan that I feel qual- qualified enough to talk about, the Zero One that I've enjoyed this year, AEW, ROH, the U.S. Indies, which unfortunately I've watched this year. Like, I, you know, other than Mexico, I cover my bases pretty well. And I really think this rookie class, the three of them have been some of the 50 best wrestlers in the world this year. And that tag match, just an undercard, nothing tag match. But you have Fuji and Kamei working their asses off. It's a four-star match because of it. And I just wanted to circle back to that thought that I really think these rookies are historically great. And it's a year, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with their career in the next, you know, year, let alone five years. But I am cherishing this year. I'm not taking this year for granted because of how talented, how exciting, and how, to an extent, innovative these rookies have been. Yeah, and this is something to plug the show that you and Alan did at PW Torch. You raised a really valid point of this class and lumping Fujikawa in it from like the little bit of him that we saw. We only got about four months and maybe 12 matches of him. This is a remarkable rookie class, and it's one of the ones that I can't pretend to know, like, who were the great AWA classes that came through that like Rick Flair was a part of my all Japan. I'm better at all Japan than I used to be, but, and then like the new Japan, like the three Musketeers and uh, Liger class, but it's going to be so remarkable to see this because this company feels confident enough that none of these guys have crossed one year yet. They will by the, uh, Kame and Kabune will by the end of the year, they'll cross one year here, but, they found something here, and it's something that I think goes back to the the way that they train and the way that they have set up this promotion. This is a promotion that, like, top-down, you look at Masato Yoshino, and this is a promotion now in his image in a way that these are guys that are trained to a point that they, when they go out there, there's an expectation of excellence. And I can't remember of a time that, like, when we talk about when we talk about Kamei, Kabune, and Kakuda, they've been a part of two different four-star matches between the, the three of them over a period of six days. It's insane. The cop is really, and, and everybody relax, because I'm not comparing these wrestlers' careers after 1984. I'm not saying Taketo Kamei is Jushin Thunder Liger, and I'm not saying Madoka Kakuta is Shinya Hashimoto. But the cop for the rookie class is 1984 New Japan. It's the Three Musketeers. Because I don't think All Japan ever ushered in talent all at the same time like this. You know, Masawa debuts, obviously, a few years before Kobashi. I think Kobashi has a few months on Kawada. It's just, it's not the same. This is the only time I've seen anything like this in my lifetime. 
And again, I don't know what the next year is going to hold. Kakuta could get hurt and never be the same, and Kamei could flame out under the tutelage of Masato Yoshino. I feel pretty good about SBK, but you never know. But their rookie year, I don't... I just don't see the argument for turning in an, absor- an observer ballot and not having one, two, and three in Rookie of the Year be some combination of Kabune, Kame, and Kakuta. Yeah, and I think it's such a far away thing. Like, I saw someone saying that, uh, what's his name? Pat McAfee should be. And then I saw like that after that. And it's like, he had two matches that were very orchestrated. These are guys that, I, just, just for my own just edification, I'm going to right now look on Cage Match. And see how many matches that uh, that Kenneth Kabune has had, if he even has a profile. And, and while you're and while you're looking at that, I mean, look, the the McAfee thing, I get it. If you're a level of fan to that degree, what McAfee what McAfee has done, I guess, is impressive. I mean, I that's not my thing. I think Pat McAfee is a guy who his whole thing is not my thing. <laughs> I think he's super talented. I respect the hell out of him. I really do. I'm not optionally choosing to view Pat McAfee content, though, which is not a diss on him. That's my fault for not totally getting it, but I really do respect the hell out of him. He seems to love wrestling. He seems to care about wrestling. Good for him. But I don't think his workload is even comparable to the Drangate rookies. I, I mean, let alone somebody like Anna Jay, who's on TV most weeks now. I mean, it's just McAfee's had two matches, and they were... Fine, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I didn't watch them. I had no motivation to go watch them because I don't <laughs> think Pat McAfee is revolutionizing the wrestling industry. So I heard they were fine. Good for him. Again, I respect the hell out of him. I think he's an awesome guy, but I'm good. He's not my rookie of the year. So since their formal debut, so this is taking out Drangate next, it's taking out everything out there, Kento Kabune, 66 matches, and that's losing approximately five months. He probably would. We'll probably be looking at 100 matches in 2020. And I flipped through my little notebook as I, as you were saying the uh, the Pat McAfee Creed, which I'm with you on. I don't think it's. I, I I'm totally with you on that. I think you have to have in some order. It has to be these three, and then you're talking about Anna J before you even start talking about someone who's had two very choreographed matches. But that was just that was just my one little like diversion case that I wanted to take. I. Uh, before we get into Kobe Sambo Hall, do you have any other big thoughts about Hokkaido before we get into the show from today? No, a really fun set of shows from what I saw. I would encourage people to watch the matches that I pointed out, and let's uh, run through this Kobe Sambo Hall show real quick, which I watched about half of. All right, so this happened this morning. This is December 8th. This will be on the network through the 15th. Running through the results, opener was Team Boku of Doi, Tomonaga, and Boku the Dragon versus the... Uh, Gate Generation team of Yosuke Samaria, UT, and Problem Dragon. It was uh, Bokunomo pinning Problem Dragon with the Logmastral in 8 minutes and 39 seconds. Match 2, Yokosuka Chome reuniting. Susumi Yokosuka and Kakatora versus Yamato and Keisuke Okuda. 14 minutes, 11 seconds. It was Kakatora pinning Okuda with the Kaganoi. Match 3 was a no contest between Toriumon and R.E.D. Toriumon was... Ultima DK and Ginky Horiguchi versus Diamante making his return. SB Kento and Hip Hop Kakuda. The Royal Sambo, 14-man battle royal. We'll get more into this in a moment. The finish was Ichikawa eliminating BB Hulk in 17 minutes and 40 seconds. Yoshino, Fuji, Sairio, Kanda, Super Shisa, Kanes, Hio, Masaki Mochizuki, Takeo Kamei, Hoho Loon, and Jimmy were all participants in it as well. 
Semi main event was KZ and Benke versus Kai and Kazuma Sakamoto. Kazuma Sakamoto got the pin on KZ with a half package pile driver in 12 minutes and 42 seconds. In the main event, we had Shungun versus the RED team of Ada, Takashi Yoshida, Kaido Ishida, and Daya Inferno. It was Shun Skywalker over Ishida with the SSW in 16 minutes and 56 seconds. And really, the one thing that you should that like continued a streak of five straight shows to a four-star match. This second match on the showcase, Yokosuka Chome versus Yamato and Okuda, that was the good stuff. Wow, you're much higher on it than I was. It was I, I watched that, the match that followed in the the battle royal, and I just didn't have time for anything else today. But yeah, it was a, a nice little undercard tag. I was not considering spreadsheet uh, material for that match at all. I mean, I would go maybe three and a quarter with it. Thought it was a, a fun little tag, but by all means, you have the floor. So the thing that got this with me is Kagatora is one of those divergent wrestlers that if Kagatora doesn't have anything to do, Kagatora is going to take it easy. And I don't blame him if I was wrestling this style and I knew that there was nothing in my cards. I wouldn't go full throttle. But now that he has something with Akuda, these two guys have great chemistry together. Kagator is energized, and you could tell when Kagator is energized. And the thing here was about this Bravegate kind of preview here, and then the finishing stretch where uh, Okuda kept on locking in the rear naked choke on on uh, Kagator. He couldn't get it on clean. The first time he looked like he had it, but then uh, Susumu was able to come in and break it up. Uh, Yamato was able to isolate, so it was just the two of them. And then you had. Uh, Kagatora rolled through with the Kagnawi, and I thought that was a really smart finish. And, you know, for like 11 minute undercard tag match, I absolutely adored it. Yeah, I, I, it's your point about Kagatora being motivated. Look, he's in a title match coming up. I, it, I don't trust Kagatora at all, but I trust Kagatora to deliver in a Brave Gate match, and he seems to be into the build of this Brave Gate match. So it's nice to see, and I, I, I respect your reasoning. I just wasn't as high on it. And then, Mike, if you want to talk about it, let's get into this. Man. Royal Sambo. Oh my God! Take you once again have the floor. Take it away, Mike. So, Dragon Gate being Dragon Gate, they did their own thing for having a Royal Rumble match. So it started off with Mochizuki and Hulk, and they got after it. But the thing was, every thirty seconds, two people came out here, so it got everyone in the ring real quick. All fourteen were in the match before like four minutes went across, and it just was like I don't rate battle royals usually, but it was a Really fun battle royal. Masato Yoshino just we decided to emulate Ichikawa partway through and sat on the top turnbuckle for, and no exaggeration, a good 90 seconds to two minutes. And it was just a blast. And, you know, Stalker was hiding on the outside, got the win, and then got named to be in the Doi Darts match. It was it was the day of Konamawa Ichikawa, and Sachioko Boy was so intense about his theme music that he almost missed his entry into the match. Those were my big thoughts. This was a good time. It's really fun. It's like, it's not like watching a shoot battle royal, but it's like watching a battle royal where they did not plan anything. And it felt like they were figuring out what to do in the match as it was happening. And it was perversely entertaining. And, you know, I, I, I didn't mind it. It's one of those very specifically niche Dragon Gate comedy things that... I don't think this resonates with somebody somebody who maybe dove in at Kobe World and said, I'm going to follow Dragon Gate from here on out. I don't think this will mean anything to them. I think this is going to be a bad match in their eyes. But for, you know, me and Mike, this was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Ho-Ho Luna eliminating someone and being so proud of himself really, like, made my day. 
Like that was a thing, like had a pretty stressful day on my mental health meter. You know, I'd probably put it at about a two to three out of seven, but just the way. Out of seven? Oh, it's a seven point scale. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. All right. That's a, that, that's a, I'm going to believe the scientist, Mike. If that's a thing, I'll take your word for I it. I mean, it's just how I evaluate my mental health. I do one through seven, but, uh, it just was like a. I'm so sorry to make fun of no, you. No, no, no. You sounded so. You sounded so defeated. I'm so sorry. It, it, it's what it is, bud. It's what it is. But it just was like 15 minutes of like levity and you know, Sakura Chikawa for my money, the best comedy wrestler of all time, just being an absolute gem in here. And you know, it even found a way to boil down between Mochi Fuji and uh, Hulk. And then you know, Hulk thought he won, and then you know, Sakura Chikawa got the pop for winning. I can't believe this went seventeen forty. I can't believe I invested eighteen <laughs> minutes into this match. It was enjoyable. I just, you know, it makes you reconsider we're, things. We're, yeah, we're just, you know, I just, I've been thinking a lot about life lately, and I spent eighteen minutes watching a battle royal that Stalker Chikawa won. So I gotta live with that now. Yeah, I mean that certainly is what we're gonna be about now because I think those these things are gonna happen from now on. I think that because they say that everyone's gonna be on Kobe Samba Hall show, so. They got to find some a way to have everyone in there, and I guess no better way than that. And you know, those were the five shows we went. We went a little bit longer, an hour and twenty minutes, but it was five shows to cover. Did you have anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here this week? No, I think that's it. Uh, it was a, a lot of shows. I apologize for not watching literally every match, but I I just ran out of time. Uh, very busy week for me, but luckily, uh, are there any shows airing this upcoming week? Yes. So we don't have the cards for them yet. But we have two shows coming up by the time we record next. We will have a their monthly Kyoto show is on the 13th, and then they will be back in Corkin on the 15th. Okay, well, let's let's maybe try to record after that Corkin, then let's do an on-air production meeting here and try to figure out a time next week so we can review Corkin instead of previewing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then the, after Corkin, that's it. Then five days later, uh, Final Gate. We'll know what's going to be going on in Final Gate by that time, so we'll probably be doing that as well. Very cool. This was fun. Dragon Gate's very, very good right now. Yeah, yeah. And thank you all for listening. You can follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. You can follow myself at Fujihaya. And you can follow Case at underscore in your case. And I think that's going to do it. So for Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the Voice Gate. Take care.